Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, 49er Faithful? It is another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. I am your host, Zane Nackvi. Al is out today, but we got a great guest host. It's Dylan D. Simone from 4th and 9. Dylan, what's up, man? What's up, Zane? Thank you for having me. Hey, man, thanks for coming on and doing this for us again. It's, uh, I, I foresee a good partnership in the future, you know, like, uh, uh, if you, if you guys ever need anything, we can, we, you can come to us. If we need everything, we can go to you. You know, this, it's like that reciprocal relationship, right? Yeah, man, I love WebZone. You guys have been around for a while, and when I met at Levi's uh, for the open practice, uh, that was a lot of fun. So, yeah, no, I, I love the work you guys are doing. Excellent stuff, excellent stuff. And so there's there's not a lot to talk about in June, and the reason why is obviously because we're, we're just wrapping up some of the mini camps, and it's that time between OTA and mini camp and, and training camp. But I do want to address a few things with you. And, and the first of those things is Jimmy Garoppolo. And he had a really good OTA session way back, uh, like about a month ago uh, when the 49ers convened for the first time in the offseason program. And he, and he was really sharp and he did really well. Obviously the pads were on and there was no rush, but he was really doing well. And I feel like kind of struggled a little bit in terms of uh, trying to find open receivers and, and getting pass breakups and things like that. And, and the reports were that he didn't look as good. I'm not really concerned about that. It's a June practice. It's not a big deal. They're, they, they're not wearing pads. He's still learning the playbook. They're installing new things. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, totally not a big deal. Um, it's kind of a dead period right now. So uh, any news is you know fun reading and fun talking about. Um, it's kind of a good thing if you look at it. The only way he's going to learn is by doing and making mistakes and correcting them, and this is kind of the fine-tuning part. Um, Like you said, he's still, like, picking up the playbook, and uh, he's getting used to a new defense with, like, a lot of tall corners. I mean, mean, the whole defense is pretty tall, too. So, I mean, I had heard that he was frustrated with that at times uh, because it's, it's tough to play against. So it's good for the defense. Um, but it's also good that Garoppolo's going to have a lot of, of, of notes uh, now. And he's going to be making some corrections that are going to, you know, make, that, that's going to make a difference later on. And I think that the biggest thing that should be highlighted is the fact that, like you said, he is learning a new offense. They're, they're trying a lot of things that they haven't tried before. And honestly speaking, what's practice for, right? It's for you to mess up and, and correct it and rectify the situation. So the fact that, that he's not looking like Tom Brady in practice is not a really big deal for me because you hear it all the time about how guys look great in practice and how guys are slinging the ball if you're wearing, nobody can stop them. And then all of a sudden when the game hits, they just don't know what they're doing. So give me a guy who is average in practice, but a stud on game days over a guy who's great on in practice, but just a dud on game days. So I would, I would absolutely take that every time. Yeah. I mean, this time last year, Brian Hoyer was soaring in practice at, I mean, he was doing, I mean, it sounded like he was going to be their unquestioned starter. I mean, Mm -hmm. so yeah, it's, it it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. I mean, what matters is, you know, how he looks in some of the preseason games, the snaps that he gets, um, and what he's able to work on. I mean, one of the things that I really liked, uh, during this Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, you know, 
rough rough patch right here is that uh, Sherman picked out a tell of his, and it was basically whether or not he had the hand, whether or not he had his hand on the ball. And when he took his hand off the ball, that uh, he knows as a cornerback to be ready to break on the ball. So I mean, these are things that he's going to be able to communicate to Jimmy, and they're going to make him better. This is going to make him tougher for other cornerbacks around the league to read. Because I mean, if Sherman can pick it up, he's probably not the only one. So uh, this is like that fine tuning that, you know, you're kind of talking about and he's getting a lot of different perspectives. And um, I mean, by training camp, mid training camp, I'm sure he's going to be more in a flow, but um, those are some of the things that I like that can come out of this, uh, of Jimmy Garoppolo's struggles during OTAs and, and training camp. I think it's a great thing that Richard Sherman is pointing these things out right now. And that's the biggest thing is that you have a veteran presence there on the other side of the ball, guys who, a guy who's been an all pro kind of helping the offense out, almost scouting for them. And I'll get to Richard Sherman in a little bit and his impact, but Jimmy Garoppolo with, with what he's done in the, in every start that he's had, like people say it's a small sample size. It is a small sample size. Let's be honest. But the fact of the matter is that if you watch this guy play the intangibles that he brings and the fundamentals that he brings, the ability to, stay calm in the pocket, the ability to know when to escape from the pocket, being able to hit receivers in stride, being accurate, being decisive with the ball, that quick release. You can't, you can't easily teach those things. And he's a much more polished quarterback than any of the guys coming out of college would have been or any of the other backup quarterbacks in the league. Let's be honest. He's learned from the best. He's been on the best sort of tutelage that you can ask for. Tom Brady is the, the ultimate quarterback in this sport. So the fact that he's been able to learn from him for four years, it's, it's, just, it's just a testament to how, how good he is in the situation that he came from. Yeah, um, he's very lucky. I mean, not, every, not a lot of players are you know, brought into really fortunate situations. I mean, he's had a setup not unlike Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay where he sat for three and a half years. Um, you know, he got to sit behind uh, one of the – all you know the hall of fame quarterbacks one of the greats all time Tom Brady maybe the greatest all time and um and then you know to get yeah to have him to have Belichick to come over to San Francisco have Kyle Shanahan and then to have players around him like you know Richard Sherman and um and then again look at a, a tough uh front seven uh that's kind of coming in the in the shape right now um these are things that are he's just been in these environments that just really just sharpen him and make him better so um developmentally i think he's been lucky and there there are going to be detractors no matter what there are going to be people that that will point out the small sample size or the fact that he threw five interceptions and six starts and all of the or well five starts and the 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 people that detract from him don't really understand what he actually brings like i i truly believe that so anybody who's saying that he's struggling now and it's a big deal and all that stuff it's come on it's june it's not a big deal He's fine. He will be fine. And I think that the 49ers will just be fine. Um, and so I want to I move on from, from Jimmy G from, for a second and, and talk about um, potential breakout players. Obviously, Jimmy G is, is the number one on everybody's list. But there are a lot of guys on this roster that seem poised to make that, that next step. You talk about guys like Akilah Witherspoon, and obviously Ruben Foster is already that, but can he become a superstar is Solomon Thomas that guy? DeForest Buckner, can he get to the next level, that next echelon of elite players? There's a lot of guys on this team. Jarek McKinnon, Matt Breida, Marquise Goodwin, all of these guys, like they have that potential to, to take it to the next level. 
as like, what do you think, man? Like, I mean, who, who are your breakout stars? No, it's crazy. There really is like, this is such a high ceiling team. If you look at the backgrounds and abilities of all these guys and you, you know, you look at the big picture, it's like crazy ceiling. And if a lot of these guys hit, this team could be really, really good. So um, yeah, this team in particular, I think is exciting because so many of those guys, it's a young roster are entering that phase to kind of develop. Um, as I thought about that, one of the guys that I keep thinking about is, is George Kittle, the tight end. Um, I think I think he could be a really good tight end in the league. And I mean, whether you look at um, you know like the film, the stats, and even the advanced stats, everything kind of just uh, tells the same story with Kittle, um, which is why he's more believable um, as somebody that's you know not like a one-hit wonder, not some rookie or you know kind of a flash in the pan. Uh, he looks like somebody that could be really good. The no, the numbers, especially with Garoppolo, the back half of the season, um, I thought showed that he could be a really good player. Um, so yeah, it's, I think on on the offensive side of the ball, I really like George Kittle. I like George Kittle as well. I think that basically what he did with the 49ers last year is what he did in college. The guy was a touchdown machine in college, and he was an athletic mismatch for a lot of players. He's he's six foot four, and he runs like a four five seven forty, which is basically. Almost Delaney Walker numbers. They they almost ran the same. I believe Walker ran like a four five two. So uh, I think that with with time and a little bit of chemistry, George Kittle can kind of take that next step, and and he can be that safety outlet for Jimmy Garoppolo. And the fact again that he's an athletic mismatch. Like can can you cover him with a corner? Do you have to take a safety or or a linebacker? So the more mismatches you have on the offense, the better it is to to be able to make plays. And I think that Kyle Shanahan's gonna gonna use him. Um, in, in that same sort of mismatch situation, you can line them up in the slot. You can line them up on the outside. You can line them up just coming off the line, right? Or in the backfield as an H back. I really believe that he has a lot of those abilities to be able to play those positions. Yeah, that's the, and, and that's the thing is you have a guy that could do all those things, and then you have a guy like Shanahan that knows how to put players in positions like that, um, and you know, create opportunities. So when you I really like Hill for that reason, and also just when you again we're talking about the the next year leap uh, that's got to involve stats and volume. We found out that Kittle was hurt. You know, Shanahan was saying he was hurt most of last year. Um, he's since put on weight. Uh, he's bulked up, so he's you know got a, you know he's more durable at least going into this season. Should be stronger. Um, and he only had like fifty three percent of the offensive snaps last year. I mean, he split. The load really with Garrett Selleck, he wasn't really like a, a tight end one. Um, it was pretty much like a shared duty. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if he, if he does better and Shanahan seems to like him and they start giving him more snaps, I mean, you could see him become kind of a, a central figure in this offense. Yeah. And I think, I think he just fits so well with the, what, what they want to do. And another guy that I think, think fits really well is Matt Breda. And I think that this guy, like, he's he's got his fellow Georgia Southern running back in Jarek McKinnon, but I think Breda and McKinnon really have the potential to be like Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman were in Atlanta and are in Atlanta. When, when Kyle Shanahan was coaching those two guys in Atlanta, he basically took a couple of guys that were not high draft picks and he turned them into probably the, the best one-two punch in the NFL in, in the year that they went to the Super Bowl. So... I envision those same sorts of things for Matt Breda. I think that he's kind of a do-it-all back. And in training camp, you kind of saw it. You saw him lining up out wide and, and 
trying to battle for for catches on the outside, even in the red zone. And they're they're kind of trying to do different things with him. And I think that when you can get a guy that can play multiple positions and be versatile like that, it really sets your offense apart. Like what set that Rams offense apart of the the greatest show on turf was Marshall Falk. It wasn't Kurt Warner throwing the ball. It was Marshall Falk's versatility to create mismatches all over the field. And we just talked about mismatches with George Kittle. I think Breida is the same way. If he can be able to be that Swiss Army knife back, being able to run it outside or up up the middle between the ta- between the tackles, or being able to to take a screen pass twenty yards, or go over the middle to catch something or be a safety outlet, I think that adds another dimension to the offense. And if they can utilize him correctly, and if he can stay healthy, I think that he has potential to be one of those guys that's like a like almost like a thousand thousand guy. I don't think he's going to get there because Jarek McKinnon's going to going to share the load. But if Breida really had the chance, like he's that that body type, he's got the the speed, he's got the elusiveness, he's got enough power to be able to be that guy. I think that Matt Breida is is due for a breakout season. Yeah, I, you know, I definitely think he's capable of that type of work. You know, that type of production if he had that workload. Um, I have a really high opinion of Breida. I mean, I've looked at well, I looked at what he did at Georgia Southern. I looked at. Um, his rookie year really closely this, uh, this off season. And then, um, you know, you and I saw him in training camp and that's when Joe Williams was there. And Joe Williams was the, the mid round pick and, uh, Breda just looks better. You know, he just, mm-hmm. you know, he, he had that faded practice Jersey that kind of made him stand out. But, you know, in practice, <laughs> yeah. he was making like, he was making nice catches down the sideline. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was running in between the tackles. Yeah. He was running outside. Uh, there's really nothing he can't do. He's just kind of a football player. He's a, you know, people say that, but he's just, he's just a good all around football player. So uh, I think he's still, even though Joe Williams is back and he's really explosive, I still think three is going to retain the two spot uh, with McKinnon. Um, and uh, I mean, McKinnon's probably going to have a huge year, um, but we're going to see how much, you know, they kind of, do- I don't know how they're going to split up the snaps because they're going to have, um, a lot of options. I mean, you're going to have uh, Brita, you're going to have Williams, uh, McKinnon, Juszczyk can, can carry the ball, and then Goodwin can get carries, and Pettis can get carries, and Richie James can get carries. There's going to be so many carries to go around, so um, mm-hmm. it's going to be really interesting to see what they do. They have, you know how coaches love to like label some of those guys like offensive weapons, like OWs? <laughs> They've got like a bunch of OWs on their team. It's like they, they play multiple positions, right? The 49ers have like the best flag football team in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. I mean, if they ever decided to, to strap on the flag, I would love to see them play that. The, the, the amount of smaller undersized guys, I mean, they are a lot of these guys, they don't have any, any really big receivers. I believe Dante Pettis is the biggest guy. He's only six one. So, uh, they don't have a lot of like really physically imposing guys, but they'll have guys that can, that can beat you up just by running your ragged. And Dylan, I don't know if you remember the, the teams from the '80s that Bill Walsh used to have. They were the, they were very similar. They were they were thought of like as finesse, but they were guys that could beat you up. They were like a bunch of undersized guys that were just running around driving people crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was. I know that Walsh didn't like the finesse word, but it was definitely about timing and uh, and speed and uh, you know your ability after the catch. So yeah, there's definitely the similarities there. Um, which is kind of why it's been fun and nostalgic to kind of watch this team uh, develop, even as they add players, because you know uh, the skill sets that they're bringing in. Like, yeah, they all kind of match. Like, they would be good in those old offenses. Mm-hmm. I think so too. And 
that everybody knows that Kyle Shanahan kind of takes from his dad, Mike Shanahan, who took from who's from the Bill Walsh coaching tree and everything. And, and uh, you see elements of that with, with the 49ers offense. And I think that a guy like Brita can, can really fit in. Uh, so let's, let's talk about defense. Who's your breakout player on defense. Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, I think everyone's pointing to a kilo. So just for uh, conversation's sake, I'll try to avoid that one uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Um, could be. I mean, if it's if it's a rookie breakout, I mean, I might just put Fred Warner, just break out as a rookie and be uh-huh. good as a rookie and just be a staple in the defense. Like I think he's. I think it's very possible he's already getting reps over uh, of Malcolm Smith. That was automatic, even though Malcolm Smith had a pre-existing relationship with Robert Sala. Uh, Fred Warner commanded a spot. Um, he was their first defensive pick. I think he's. I think he's going to really just kind of have his identity felt on this defense. So um, I think rookie breakout is is going to be him. I really like Fred Warner. When I when I saw that the 49ers picked him and, and I had a little bit of chance to do research on him, the guy's a three-down linebacker. He's a guy that can run sideline to sideline, and he's one of those almost like a hybrid safety linebacker types. Like if you want to think think about like Dayon Buchanan in, in Arizona, kind of like that that plays in the box and, and eventually transition to linebacker, but he can, he can run with anybody. He can play in the box. He can hit. So I think that their vision is to put Fred Warner next to Ruben Foster and have those guys starting as your starting t- linebacker tandem for the next 10 years, which is almost like Willis and Bowman 2.0. I don't want to put that pressure on them, but it's almost like that same feel, isn't it? it it'll be, it'll be really fun to see that kind of come to life again, because uh, yeah, the Niners have been really lucky with their, not maybe lucky because they've invested uh, heavily in the position, but it's really nice to see them uh, keep them as a foundation through these different regimes. Um, but yeah, I think Warner's going to be great. I think it's underrated how good he's going to be for the passing defense. I mean, like you said, he's kind of that hybrid, so he's really going to help out the passing defense as much as he's going to be an in-the-box linebacker. And because of his versatility, uh, I think Salah has some, some more freedom to get creative on defense with uh, potential blitz packages, you know, if he could drop Warner into coverage, he can bring in Colbert on, you know, a on, on a blitz or something like that. So there's going to, I think that's going to open up the defense in that way too. So there's going to be some, you know, things that don't show up in the stat sheet exactly, but uh, he's going to have a ripple effect on this defense. So, yeah, I, I think he's going to be my rookie breakout or just breakout period on defense. Uh, what about you? Um, I'm going to go with the guy that you just mentioned. I'm going to go with Akella Witherspoon. And the reports that are coming out of, and they're obviously early and they don't have the pads on or anything, but the reports that have come out of many camp and OTAs is that he's a totally different player this year. And there's one reason why, and it's the guy that's playing opposite from him. And that uh, Richard Sherman has has taken Akello under his wing and and they hang you you see on on social media these guys hang out off the off the field and they're pretty close and already they developed a really close bond. Anytime you hear Witherspoon talk about Richard Sherman, it's always like, you know, they're like, it's like his big brother and they have the same measurables. They're both six, three. They're both around the same weight, both around 200 pounds. And, and Witherspoon's problem was that he was not physical enough. Like he's, he's a very talented corner and he, he start he's, he ended the season really strong. He had two interceptions and yeah, I believe he had seven passes defense. So he, he played really well when he got the chance, he was inactive for the first four games. But I think that once he was able to kind of get his feet wet and 
learn the scheme a little bit more and be more comfortable by the end of the season, he actually became really reliable. And if he can just shore up his tackling a little bit, he did have a forced fumble. So there is that. I mean, if he could shore up his tackling and increase the physicality a little bit, I think that, that him and Richard Sherman can really, really be strong uh, across from each other. It'll change the defense. Uh, it's, it, it really will. And it, because I think Akello is capable of being, you know, what you would call the cornerback one or shadowing the top receiver on the other team, but he's not, he, he won't have to do that. I mean, Sherman's going to get that guy on the left side a lot. Um, so they have this, they have, they really, they have great potential um, on their boundary corners. And that could be real, like, you know, from what was a weakness last year, I mean, you would have Dante Johnson start a game and he'd be out by halftime. He'd be on the bench. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they just kept rotating guys in and out. Greg Maven came in. Um, the corner spots are going to be almost pillars for the defense and, and they might even key a run this year just because of how important it is to defend the pass. Your co-host on, on your podcast, uh, Eric Crocker, he was, he was a defensive back as well, right? In the NFL. Yeah. What, what does he think of Akello? Oh, he, yeah, he thinks Akello's really good. I mean, he's just his technique and, um, and just basically his intelligence and his ability to learn and pick up things, uh, you know, just like you, he's seeing that Akello's uh, taking another step this year. Him and I talked briefly about it. Um, but yeah, you know, he's very optimistic on him. He thinks he could be a star cornerback in the NFL. And if you have really good corners, it, it affects your entire defense. Like you said, it changes everything because the, the rush defenders will, will not have to rush for as long. It's like, it's like if the if the corners shut down the passing game, there will be nobody open to throw to. You'll see you'll see a bunch of cover sacks. You'll see quarterbacks throwing the ball away. You'll see more pressure getting to them because they're having to hold the ball. And I think with a lot of guys, most of the guys in this league, they they get flustered when they when they get pressure flashing in front of them. And there are very few guys that don't get bothered by that. So if you can get corners that stay on their receivers for the majority of the of the play, the, of the time that it takes to run a play. Then you have a lot of quarterbacks getting flustered because they have to they have to hold the ball, and I think that in this defense, because of the fact that this is very similar to obviously to that Seattle defense that that Richard Sherman was in a couple of years ago, and it relies on one side of the field basically basically being shut down, so the free safety can double the other side, and that's essentially what Earl Thomas was when when Richard Sherman was there. He was like a center fielder that would double the opposite side of Sherman because they knew that Sherman would shut one side down. Now, I don't care if it's Sherman shutting that side down. I don't care if it's Witherspoon shutting that, shut, that side down. It really doesn't matter to me. Like, I, I just want one side shut down so they can kind of, or both, but one side shut down at least so they can kind of run that same defense. You know, that's going to give Colbert a lot of freedom to just kind of roam around there too. So, I mean, maybe he could have a good year. If it turns out he's the real deal, this should only provide him just kind of more freedom and, and he should be in more positions to make plays. Yeah, and Colbert's like a, he's like a four-two-five guy. He's really fast. The range on that guy's amazing. So we could have easily like picked Adrian Colbert or even Jaquaski Tart as being like the breakout guy. Those were the obvious sort of picks. But I mean, like I think that if you if you get help at every single level or an elite player at every single level level of your defense, then that will that will make the entire group elite. So yeah, let's. Leaders, no, it, it's overall. You know, just like you were saying before, there are a lot of these guys. So while we named a couple and we had our picks, I mean, it, it wouldn't be a surprise if those guys broke out. And then, you know, some of the other guys we just 
left off. But, uh, yeah, they have a lot of potential to, um, to take a big step this year. They do. They do. And, and, and I want to talk, a guy, uh, talk about a guy who we know what we're getting from. I want to talk about Richard Sherman and the impact that he's had on this team. Like, you look at, I don't know if you saw, but the 49ers released a mic'd up video for Richard Sherman in practice. I, I still think it's weird seeing him in a 49ers uniform. It's it's very surreal, but the impact that he's had on the younger guys, and he's kind of taken that elder statesman sort of role within the DB group. It seems like he's kind of lifted the entire performance of the defense, hasn't it? Yeah, and it was, I mean, it was instant. It's, uh, it's I think they're just more confident that he's a member of, you know, that, that unit. Uh, it's just like, Richard Sherman, you know, because he had to believe in what was in place. Uh, so to find the deal and originally to, you know, become a 49er, I know that Garoppolo was part of the cell, but I definitely think that he looked at Buckner and Foster. He said he liked the Kello. Um, you know, we know that uh, Colbert uh, was a fan of Earl Thomas and studied Earl Thomas um, when he was coming out of college. So, um, you know, I, I think that that was, kind of a, a big confidence booster to the 49ers in general. Um, and, you know, they, they just kind of went in with that. I mean, even Joe Staley, you know, what, you know, saying I, I didn't think I was going to like him and, you know, he, they just became buddies. So um, it's, it's, it's it, how it permeates in the locker room and to practices on the field with, you know, effort, you know, not a lot of, I mean, there's probably going to be some camp fights, but, um, it, it seems just more uh, united that he's picked the team. So, um, you know, beyond everybody just getting better at their positions with, you know, the experience he has to share, um, I think everyone's just uh, feeling better. And I think, you know, a lot of people can relate to that, thinking back on the, the bulky days and what came before this. So um, I mm-hmm. think all that matters. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest effects that he's had on the team so far. And you mentioned earlier about how right away he had a tell for Jimmy Garoppolo in terms of when he throws the ball. And it's just, it's just so great to get that before the season even starts because now they have a whole offseason to fix it. They have a whole offseason to create dummy plays and actions and things like that that defenders can key on. Because like you said, if, if Richard Sherman picked up on it, then the rest of the league probably has too. So I think that in that sense, the intangibles that he brings, not only the, the physical ability that he has, and I think that he'll be fine. I think that the Achilles injury, yes, he'll be, he, he may not be the same as he was, but I'll take 85% of him over, yeah. over anything, anybody else. Absolutely. And I, I just, I just think that when it comes to veteran leadership, this team really needs that. Cause there are a lot of young guys on this team. There are, it's, it's not, it's not an old veteran team. It's not a team like we saw with Jim Harbaugh's first year where there are a lot of like uh, guys in their fourth, fifth, sixth year. A lot of guys are younger on this team, and they pretty much they, you mentioned the bulky years, they pretty much overturned the roster in two years. Like last year, I believe like it was like 51 out of the 90 guys coming into the camp were new, and this year it's going to obviously be even more. You've got guys kind of on the bubble like Eric Armstead, Jimmy Ward, Josh Garnett, like old bulky holdovers. But this this roster, it's it's it was almost really devoid of a of veteran leadership before Jimmy Garoppolo came on, right? And he kind of took this thing by the reins, and he was like, "All right, I'm going to be the leader of this team, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take this team where where it needs to go." And that's not a knock against Joe Staley because he's he's a great guy, and, and by all accounts, his teammates love him. But I feel like there's certain guys that are born leaders, 
Jimmy Garoppolo is one of those those guys. Richard Sherman is one of those guys. Right, and I and I actually think that same thing with Joe Staley. I think Joe is like one of the central figures that you go and go after a Super Bowl with. I mean, he's one of those types mm-hmm. of players that you want uh, kind of spearheading that effort. Um, but he's not a quarterback. So, they, you know, they had to have a quarterback. And then Sherman is, I mean, let's be honest, he's a Hall of Fame caliber cornerback. So he's an mm-hmm. exception at the position. Um, cornerback is has been a, it's a sexy position. Um, in today's NFL, I mean, a lot of those guys have swagger. It's, it's a featured position because of, again, you know, the, um, the passing game um, in the NFL today. So, yeah, I mean, just to have more of those guys, though, now, um, I mean, yeah, because for the most part, it's, it is a young team, but the few older players they have are, uh, are serving a purpose. I mean, even Earl Mitchell has been a really good uh, veteran for uh, DJ Jones on the defensive line. Um, and, you know, he's another guy that's just kind of a, a good uh, veteran presence. And speaking of Joe Staley, how funny do you think it is that Mike McGlinchey is like literally his little brother? It's it's a bummer. It's not going to last longer. I mean, we've got what like three years of this, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, until Staley's contract runs out. But I think it's hilarious. You see them going to to sing karaoke together. They're always on video together. It's just it's really cool to see like a veteran. Like he's a te- a ten plus year veteran. Been in the Super Bowl. Been in multiple Pro Bowls. All Pro. One of the best tackles in the game at one point in his career, and he still is. And he's befriended, literally befriended a rookie who has done nothing in this league, which is which is awesome. I know Daniel Kilgore is going to be pretty jealous in Miami right now. <laughs> I think so. And it looks like you, you mentioned how tight of a group this is. And, and I think that that permeates above everything, like through everything that these guys are, seem like they, they genuinely care about each other. And you saw that when Jim Harbaugh was here, Jim Harbaugh really fostered that same sort of community. Like you guys are our brothers and, 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 he he wanted them to be close, right? Not, you're not necessarily going to like everybody that you work with, right? But on game days, they were close. And you would see videos of these guys. I remember a, a video of, uh, I think it was Alex Boone, Mike Upati, and Joe Staley doing Dance Dance Revolution uh, to, to some song. And it was just funny because like, they seemed really close. And you see that same sort of camaraderie amongst this group here. So I think that in itself, like they're doing all of the things that you need to do to be successful off the field. Now it's just a matter of that translating on the field. Yeah. And I think we're going to see it, you know, on game day too, like just how tight they are. I think that's going to make for, you know, great communication and understanding and overcoming bad plays. Um, When you can communicate and you can relate to somebody and, and, you know, you have a relationship that goes beyond work. um, I think that's going to make it, you know, all the better for the Niners. I think so too. And, um, we were talking about guys that could potentially break out. And one, one guy that is, is in and out of these discussions, you know, because he doesn't get, he, he'll have to share snaps at, at, at pass rusher is Cassius Marsh. And I, I'm not so interested in talking about what impact he could have. I'm kind of more interested is, Hey man, it's June. We got to talk about this. I don't know if you saw his Twitter, but he's openly feuding with like Patriots fans. He's like, I hate you guys. I'm, I'm glad I'm out of new England. It's just the, the, funniest thing and it's just so odd to see a player do that isn't it yeah um but you know it's social media i think you know weird things happen with players on social media weekly um niners got caught up in one uh with cassius marsh in new england mm-hmm. but it's funny i mean it, it's good that it's it's still about um it comes down 
his focus is on football. That's where his passion is. He's all fired up, but it's football related. I think that's pretty funny. Yeah, and at least at least again, like he's not taking it personal. It's it's again, it's just some friendly jocularity back and forth. Like nobody's really obviously from uh, like a, a a regular fans perspective they may take it they may take it personally but from his perspective he's kept it really pretty clean and he hasn't really like you know gone after anybody personally so i think that he's just kind of having fun with it and he just seems like an emotional emotionally charged sort of player you can see when he plays he plays 100 miles an hour all the time and i think that's why robert sala loves him but i I just kind of had a chuckle at, at how like how kind of out there he was with this and like up front i'm like man that's that's really you're definitely not going to ever play for the Patriots again, ever. You could cross that team off your list for potential free agent destinations. Yeah, no, he had a, it seemed like he had a bad exit with the Patriots. I mean, it wound up where they just got, they, he got the team to wave him. And, um, you know, they, you know, he complained about how he was used. He wanted to be more of a downhill pass rusher. He was doing too much, you know, too much uh, pass coverage. And uh, he just, you know, he didn't like the way they did things there, and it left a bad taste in his mouth. But it's great because the Niners could be on the winning side of this. I mean, they gave him a contract. Mm. They've, you know, dropped a couple nice quotes to the media about how much they like him, and they're going to give him a shot. So uh, they can really kind of turn all this, you know, to, you know, kind of use this fire uh, to their benefit because uh, Marsh kind of needs to prove it. There's, uh, I think, in his total contract four million plus in incentives performance incentives if he plays well um so yeah i think there's like a fire brewing in him right now he's got some um incentive uh financially um so i'm kind of curious to see what he does with it this year and he'll be sharing snaps as i mentioned earlier with uh, jeremiah tauchu solomon thomas is going to be out there as well at the leo and eli harold as well so i think that that what's going to happen is that they'll probably separate from each other during camp. And then you'll see the guy that separates the most. Obviously he'll get the most snaps, but I've got high, high hopes for Marsh. I think that, that he has that motor that you need and that competitive competitiveness that you need to play that position. Yeah. Now, no, I, oh, I, sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I like Marsh. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how he does in that competition, especially because uh, physically, I think he's got an advantage over Solomon Thomas just because, uh, you know, he's, he's just, he flies off the ball faster, and he's just kind of uh, he's a leaner. Um, he's just more built to be an outside pass rusher. So um, yeah, I'm very I'm very interested, and I thought he did pretty well at the end of the season last year. Yeah, absolutely. I think he did too. Um, even if he wasn't getting the quarterback, he was creating a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, so I want to I want to switch gears for a second, and uh, obviously with the passing of Dwight Clark and uh, Keith Fonhorst, Von, uh, a couple of the 49ers mainstays from the, from the '80s dynasty, it's been it's been a rough couple of weeks for the 49ers and the 49er faithful. Uh, I put out a, a special podcast last week about uh, about Dwight Clark's passing, and he had ALS, and it was kind of imminent, and they they had the whole Dwight Clark, Dwight Clark Day at Levi Stadium. Uh, this past season to to honor him because everybody kind of knew the writing was on the wall, but I just want to just want to hear you know what your thoughts are from another fellow colleague in the industry and, and another fellow Forty Nine er fan, like what his impact was on you. Yeah, uh, there's a lot. I think of a lot of things when I think about Dwight Clark. Um, I mean, I, I I think of somebody that he he 
was a Bay Area icon, you know, not just a player. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's Bay, you know, when I moved to the Bay Area from the East Coast, I really kind of got an idea of uh, who the important figures were from sports to the Bay Area, and there were some that kind of extended beyond, um, you know, like Barry Bonds and and uh, just obviously Joe Montana. But uh, yeah, Dwight Clark was just uh, really embedded within the communities here. You know, you go out to sports bars. You know, he's his pictures, and you know, everyone. You know, everyone that's a, a 49ers fan. Um, and you know, obviously, I have a I have a record. Uh, I have Huey Lewis in the news on vinyl. I had. I remember I picked it up, and I, this was the first time I did not know. I was looking at the back credits, and I saw. Joe Montana, Dwight Clark, uh, featured on, I think it was four. No way. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so he had done this, you know, they were friends with Huey Lewis. I know that you saw when they did the thing in Montana at mm-hmm. Eddie DeBartolo's ranch that Huey made it out. Um, and you think about like how many people he connected with and really just what a great presence he was. It seemed like he, he had a really good first impression and lasting impression on a lot of people. I hear a lot of the same as well, because obviously now we hear of the stories coming out of Dwight's life and how he affected people and both people in the media and fans alike. The guy was just positive all the time. Like he never ever declined an autograph request or a picture request or anything like that. Just the, the true sort of gentleman that played like a brutal sport. And he was one of those guys that could light up a room. Like every time Dwight Clark, would speak or you would hear the name Dwight Clark. It's like, you know who that guy is. It's like, I, I know exactly who that is. And you don't really get that amongst a lot of people. Like when you talk about like the all time greats, you talk about Joe, Joe Montana and Jerry Rice, and Steve Young and T.O. It's like, you know who all these guys are, but Dwight Clark didn't have those numbers. That's, that's the crazy thing is that he played, he played for nine years, but he didn't like put up like spectacular numbers. He, he, he had a thousand yards three times, which is, which at the time was, was pretty good. But comparatively, like he didn't, you know, he's he's not in the Hall of Fame or anything. Although I think he should be, but the impact that he had, like you said, on this this community and in San Francisco in general, he basically helped put Forty ers football on the map. Like him and Joe Montana. If he doesn't catch that ball, who knows where the Forty ers are today? Yeah, it's he. I mean, that's one of the most iconic, and it's it's not biased to say it. It's one of the most iconic moments in sports, certainly the NFL, because mm-hmm. um, you talk about the Niners, and, you know, everyone will tell you. I mean, the Niners are there with Steelers and the Cowboys, the greatest dynasties ever. I mean, Packers as well um, with Lombardi, and obviously their later years with Favre and Rodgers, but uh, the Niners are one of the greatest dynasties of all time, and uh, he started that. I mean, he was, and it was great. And then the other thing I think about when I think about Dwight Clark is how Bill Walsh kind of accidentally found him at Clemson when he went to go look at a uh, quarterback and he needed somebody to throw to him. And he got, uh, you know, Dwight was out there catching passes and he kind of liked what he saw and he watched more film with Dwight. And uh, Instead of the quarterback, he decided that he needed, in that 1979 draft, he needed to take Dwight Clark. Um, so that's another thing when I, I think of Dwight Clark is I think about how he was just kind of uh, destined to be found for Bill Walsh and for this brand new system that was going to blow the NFL away and how he was one of the perfect players for it. And he, he will be missed. He truly is 
definitely and and always will be a bay a bay area icon and an nfl icon for that matter as well man dylan we filled up a full show man that was it didn't seem like that long we literally like we've been chatting for a while man and this is this has been fun yeah man i love doing this this is always a good time i mean this is this is why i started a show is just because i i i gotta talk i gotta talk 49 football every now and then and it's good to connect with you guys as always yeah, and wh- why don't you tell people where they can find that show? Sure, yeah. we uh, Eric Crocker and I at 4thand9.com, we just launched uh, the Cover 4 podcast. Uh, we're on SoundCloud and iTunes at the moment. Um, we've only released two episodes. Um, we're planning our third, which should uh, feature our first guest. And, uh, yeah, we, we cover four topics. That's kind of the, the, the catch. So, um, yeah, uh, SoundCloud and iTunes. Everybody go blow up Dylan's Twitter, go blow up Eric Crocker's Twitter and uh, definitely give these guys a follow and definitely they've, they've got a lot of good stuff that they, that they put out. So uh, please, a lot of good analysis as well. So please uh, give these guys a follow. Uh, anything else you wanted to, to, to mention, man? Like it's, it's yours. No, man, I just, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to football coming up right now. I'm really excited for training camp. Um, excited to get down there. I hope to see you soon. Um, you know, we'll get connect down there and, uh, and yeah, just kind of watch the practice from the sidelines. Yeah, absolutely. Just like we did last year. Right. So hopefully the result will be better this year. I think remember last year we were watching from the sidelines and, uh, Malcolm Smith tore his pec and like Colbert rolled his ankle really bad. And like, (laughs) yeah, it was not, not a great practice, but Yeah. yeah, I do remember Breda that day. Yeah. Breda was good. He was really good that day. And, uh, you know, Hoyer was kind of slinging it around, but like, it was just like just a, a really kind of weird day, um, but hopefully, hopefully this year is better, and I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Yeah, likewise, brother. It's another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. I'm Zane Nackvi. Thank you again to my special guest co-host today, Dylan D. Simone, and we will see you guys next time.